Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today I'm here with Megalodon. Yeah, she said it right. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. So where are you actually from Utrecht, or how do you say it? Uh, Utrecht. Utrecht. And I tried my best. No, actually, um, I was born and raised in the Deep South, and then moved to Cali when I was uh, early, early teens, then moved to Europe for about three or four years, and that was when I kind of started to do dub stuff in the, in the public's eyes, because of the UK and blah, 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 about like eight, nine years yeah. ago, through the whole... UK dubstep scene. So you're, are your parents from there or? No, um, <laughs> I've been on my own since 15, 16 years old, I can't even remember. And since then, I've moved around quite a lot. Um, and then I just kind of based myself out of Europe for quite a long time. So you grew up mostly in North Carolina and Georgia? Yes, yes, yes. Well, no. Childhood, like I was born in North Carolina, I didn't really live too much there. I lived in upstate New York, Florida, Georgia, constantly moved around. Because of your parents' job? Yeah, IT, during the early 90s with the IT boom, it was so many fledgling companies would come in and out and stuff, so it'd be like, hey, we're gonna move here. All right, we're gonna move here now, you know, so. Oh, so they were both working in IT? Sort of. My mom more or less was hopping on the eBay boom thing, oh. where, and my dad was like Java and, and uh, worked for like Charles Schwab and everything, but unfortunately, uh, wasn't one of the people who got the luckier hand of it. It's a dog-eat-dog world, especially if anyone knows Silicon Valley. Yeah. So. Uh, what did your mom sell on eBay? She actually hopped up on some really, uh, you remember the movie Titanic? Mm-hmm. So, you know that Heart of the Necklace? Heart, yeah. You know the Heart of the Ocean Necklace? Well, when that movie first came out, my mom had a, a catalog with, like, jewelry, like, costume jewelry that cost, like, 50 cents to 25 cents a piece. Mm-hmm. And she found the exact piece that they used in the fucking movie. What? And it was, like, 25 cents a pop. And right when that movie came out, she instantly sold <laughs> dollar signs, was selling them on eBay. Some people were buying them for, like, 80 90 bucks. Wow. And when you're getting them for 50, 25 cents, that's a that's crazy. huge markup. Um, and then, you know, the Beanie Baby thing made lots of money off of that. <laughs> I guess uh, there's a lots of 90s hustles that you could yeah. have done back in the days. Where, would, where did you get your creative side from? Um, oh, get a bird. Actually, it has to start off with uh, the fact that, you know, single mom, kind of had to go to college with her and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and you know, when she was kind of dating my dad, we would just kind of go to concerts and stuff like that when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had like a little jewelry store on the side of the road in Athens, Georgia at the time. And uh, the lead singer of R.E.M. would come over and like, hang out with me as like a little three or four year old and like kind of inspire me to make music. Same thing with uh, Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, which were kind of local around at the area. And so when I first kind of was younger, I was a a jazz musician. Um, I uh, was a jazz drummer and uh, 
and guitar teacher. <laughs> and um, what kind of music was you playing in the house when you were growing up? Um, well, of course, Beatles, everything from that to like Taj Mahal to the Cure, the Smiths, um, Rush, Tool, lots of uh, alternative rock, lots of classic rock, a lot of uh, classical music, jazz even Portuguese jazz, you know, anything that really kind of tests the, the range. It's kind of interesting that to, to now that you look back on it. At the time, I was really into different time signature changes, chord progressions that were, you know, in the jazz form, which were dissonant. Uh, things you just never do in EDM. Because mm -hmm. just would not, I mean, I think every, you know, person who's done traditional music and has gone to EDM has thought, hey, what if I put my tune to 6-8 or something like that? And it all, it did, no one's ever done it right and I don't suggest anyone should. Mm -hmm. um, did you, did she put you in drums classes or did you request for it or did you teach no, yourself? No, no, no. I, I had um, a hand-me-down drum set that I taught mm -hmm. myself on um, and when you're a, a kid who moved around a lot, you know, you didn't really have very many friends. You just kind of had your instruments and shit. And that's what kind of made it so that I could kind of move from town to town and like make friends because uh, oh that kid who plays drums like well, we'll jam with him or some shit and then mm -hmm. make friends in the local area. How did you? But you were also in different types of bands other than jazz bands, right? Yeah, after the jazz bands and like I started to get known in California when I first moved here into the Bay Area. I was a kid. I think I was like maybe 14 or something like that and. Some of the like local like uh, freshman and sophomore college students in the area who like were doing music at the time overheard about me playing drums and started fucking with me and started playing tunes with me and shit like that. And then uh, next thing you know, we started a band with a bunch of people who were a lot older than me uh, <clears throat> and playing shows like at you know the Phoenix Theater in uh, Petaluma, which is famous for like Sublime and AFI and. You know, then that was like, I guess, hardcore screamo, grindcore. You know, the, the kind of stuff that you do when you have angst and and want to scream your heart out because high school's tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how would you describe yourself back then, growing up? Uh, you know, I think everybody goes through those awkward phases, trying to understand life, going through middle school and high school and shit like that. And I think if you don't look back on your old life and go, wow, I was an idiot, <laughs> then you're doing something wrong. If you look back in your life in high school and you're like, those were the best days of my fucking life. <laughs> I hate to say it, but there's a lot of growing. Um, but to describe myself in, I guess, one word, I'd say confused, definitely mm. confused. Um, being a musician, you put yourself in a situation where you have to constantly be a... Uh, doing stuff that's very emotionally draining. Uh, to write music, especially now that you do it for a career and you're told, hey, I gotta write a song right then and there, it's really emotionally draining. And, you know, uh, you gotta put your heart and your soul out into it, and especially when you're writing music. When I was younger, I was writing a lot more melodic, uh, sad music and stuff like that. And I think anyone who listens to Radiohead can know that when you're depressed, listening to Radiohead sometimes is the worst thing to do ever. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Uh, it, it was one of those kind of things where as, as a musician when you're first figuring out what you want to do with your life and what you want to do sonically um, 
you're really confused. Uh, luckily with dance music, it was one of those kind of things where it kind of just happened. I was in a band and we kind of just like uh, eventually split up and me and the lead singer were playing shows like DJing shows and stuff like that uh, on the side like later at like after our concerts and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and it just became, it kind of became a thing and uh, what I really love about it is that the overall emphasis and emotion to it is not so much emotionally draining, it's actually uplifting. Um, and the scene itself, you know, EDM, especially like dubstep, because at the time drum and bass and grime were really more pro predominant, and they're kind of known for having a lot of kind of angry souls. Uh, and dubstep was more of this place where, you know, hey, we can just have a couple beers and listen to deep dubstep and bob our heads and high five and that's about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, wasn't like, you know, skinhead shit, you know, mm -hmm. so. Did you always know from the onset you want to be a musician? Did you want to be like a marine biologist? Did want to be a marine biologist, always been obsessed with sharks, even still to this day, dream of mine is to have a boat and uh, try to do some research on uh, great whites and stuff like that. Um, when I lived in San Francisco, I uh, ironically got involved with, with some of the people who are, are uh, doing a lot of those, you know, um, stuff at the, uh, the Farallon Islands, like Peter Pyle and stuff like that, who uh, was the first person to ever film um, shark breaching. Mm -hmm. uh, ironically, I got involved it through bird watching. Oh. Well, yeah, it's funny. Sharks and bird watching actually go hand in hand. Most people don't realize this, but when you chum the water and you're trying to get sharks involved, mm -hmm. the first thing that come are, uh, are uh, birds, seabirds. Oh. So it's a great opportunity to go bird watching. Mm -hmm. So I was actually working on a farm at the time, a long time ago, a little southern boy, and was helping out a hand who was doing something for UC Davis at the aviary and uh, was selling birds bird books that this guy was doing from UC Davis at a bird watching thing and met all these great white shark experts. That was around the time that I was starting Megalodon and it's always been a thing that I've also been really interested into uh, as a kid. So uh, I think I mentioned earlier before we started taping that I do kind of wish I came up with a shorter name It was easier to, <laughs> to say. But my my love for sharks and also my, I wasn't really expecting Tub Step to get this big. Um, <laughs> It, it, it just kind of happened that way. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the initial money that you earned went towards that, right? Um, like shark, the finning, or... Personal like money, yes. The, the first releases, yeah, were Haiti. I did a couple for Haiti, a couple for Japan. Oh, it smells like dead body over here. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, but personal money. I wanted to do something that was anti-shark finning, mm -hmm. but at the time with the, 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 the Tokyo, um, for after the earthquake in the Haiti, I had more support where there's multiple people. It's kind of hard to find people who are on board to want to help invest and, and throw stuff against shark finning because they don't realize of how much of a tragedy that is. Um, so uh, I, I would just take my own personal money out of that. I would eventually love to do that. Um, I don't like to get political with my music. I don't want to divide people. But uh, sharks are fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, there's really no point in killing them just for uh, the sake of them being uh, scary and having, I guess, tasty fins or mm -hmm. some shit. And then soon after you connected with Anti-Serum, right? Yeah, Mikey was uh, one of the top boys in the original like San Francisco dubstep scene. When I first started doing dubstep, 
It was in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area scene, which was one of the first scenes to bring dubstep. Shoutouts to uh, Sam Supa and the Grime City fam and all them back in the days. And uh, Mikey Anti Serum was oh, such a good. He, he started off doing breaks and stuff like that, but he was him and Maddie G for the folks who know Maddie G. We're like the top dogs in the Bay Area at the time. Same thing with like Babylon System, you know, all them. And uh, and so as someone who was, you know, starting off and, and, and kind of getting into the dubstep scene at that early time, you know, uh, Mikey was one of the first people to kind of let us in and kind of show us the ropes and stuff. And still to this day, he's a very good friend of ours. Um, he's uh, quite, quite a character and a really fun guy. Um, and I remember when we wrote Platinum, it was right after he did uh, his first song with Mayhem. Uh, that Brick Squad! Oh, so good. <laughs> and so we were hyping off of that tune. And so we just basically opened up the project file and made a, like, a quasi-rhythm trap hybrid <laughs> tune. And that was like four or five years ago now, damn. Mm -hmm. um, but then, uh, then I think everyone knows what happens with that, you know, Mikey and, and Mayhem went off in so many really good songs right after that. Mm -hmm. so. Were you working other jobs? <laughs> yeah. At first, I ran a liquor store. Oh, wow. I, I lied my way into running a liquor store when I wasn't 21. <laughs> um, and then I quit that. I was working as a baker for a little while, which was actually kind of ironic. I was... You know, a, a Jewish guy working at a bagel shop, working in a walk-in oven. There was just so many <laughs> Jewish jokes, I, just, I couldn't help myself. Um, oh my God. And it was right outside the Jewish Community Center in San Francisco, so uh, we had quite a lot of business. Um, Were you ever really religious or not really? Not really. I would say spiritual. I don't like organized religion, and, and nor do I like to really ever bring my own personal beliefs into my music. But... On that note, being someone who has read the Bible, read the Torah, read the Quran, read the Aramaic version of the Bible, mm -hmm. I can state that uh, there's more similarities than there are differences. And for me to actually say that, you know, like, like I'll say I'm Jewish because it's actually a, a race, you know, but... Uh, I wouldn't really say that a religion should really define somebody because there's so much, they're so similar that it's, mm -hmm. I mean, I could see where someone who is uneducated could, could see that like, you know, skin color could be more of a determining factor for differences than say, well, I believe in this book, but a different story at the end. Because, mm -hmm. you know, they all believe in, in, you know, uh, the, the basically the Torah at the beginning, you know, both uh, Islam and Christianity, but they all believe in a different. It's like it's like saying, you know, we all believe in the first and second Star Wars, but then we all kind of disagree on what happens at the end of, of Return of the Jedi. Some people believe Luke became uh, uh, Princess Leia's girlfriend, and they weren't brother and sister. And then some people believe that Chewbacca became a player, and you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the same kind of thing. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> and then what kind of was your first momentum in your music career? Uh, I'd have to say probably the moment I got signed to Never Say Die. At the, at the time I was working with uh, Hatcha and Sin City, which uh, was a fun look. It was really great to have Terry Hatcha bring me into the scene. 
Um, he's, you know, the Don of all Dons, and if it no, someone doesn't know about him, he's one of the original dubstep DJs and actually the guy who coined the name dubstep. Oh. Um, in the in good old Croydon Big Apple. But basically, at that time period, for someone to run a record label as a DJ, it's really fucking hard. That's why a lot of people don't realize the stuff that Schism had to sacrifice mm -hmm. just to run Never Say Die. And how many other people aren't willing to pretty much sacrifice their entire career to do a record label right. Because there's no way you can run something like Never Say Die while focusing on your career. It's just impossible, especially if you're trying to manage them too as well and trying to blow up other artists and <clears throat> it's a full-time job. So I still have to say that at this point, Never Say Die kind of set a standard for it for like how things should be done and uh, and ultimately we, we found ourselves in a situation where we both liked each other's music me you know when I first met Tommy and stuff like that and when he first signed my music it was actually an opportunity for me to kind of branch out outside of the UK because the UK is very secular and very you know, you could be the biggest thing in the UK and no one could know your name in, in America um, and, and vice versa. And, um, and so at that time period, the dubstep scene started to split. You know, at that time, Datsik and Excision and, and this American sound started to really kind of blow up. And, uh, and the UK scene became its own thing and, uh, and became split. So Never Say Die really helped bridge that gap. Um, not just for me, but for lots of other artists because, you know, like I said, it took someone like Hatcha to bring me into the scene, but it took Never Say Die to be able to bring me to a, a completely different listening group that I normally would not have achieved um, due solely to the fact that I, I invested so much into living in Europe and doing the European way and the, that kind of style of, of, you know, but now if you go to the UK, they're into house music. They don't mm. even like, dubstep is a bad word in the UK. <laughs> if you go to Amsterdam right now and you say the word EDM, people look at you like you just farted. Oh I'm my serious. God. Oh yeah. No, you, you have to like techno. Mm -hmm. And in the UK, it's garage. Yeah. yeah. Bouncy house music. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, it might come back dubstep, I, you know, but there were pivotal clubs like you know, fabric that really changed up after it got closed down for a bit, and cable, which never doesn't exist anymore. So there's been a lot of different changes in that kind of scene, and it pushed it into a different genre. That's why I moved back to America, um, thanks to the fact that I had an actual opportunity to be able to make it into the American scene, thanks mm -hmm. to Never Say Die, and thanks to the fact that I'm actually American, because a lot of people don't realize that you know, you have work visas, so if mm. you want to see your favorite DJ from another country yeah. to come out here, sometimes you can't until they get a work visa, and if anyone knows about the American government, they make you jump through a lot of hoops. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, big up to anybody who's gone through that hellhole mess and gotten their work visa, and yeah, people don't give you respect for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very lucky for growing up here in America. Mm -hmm. How did you connect with 12th Planet and Zedstead? All right, well, I'll first start off with John. I think if you ask anybody in the known planet about John, 
I think the first thing they'll say is what of an amazing person the guy is. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start off there because <laughs> the guy is one of the most enjoyable pe people to be around. Um, John, I honestly can't remember how we first started hanging out. Um, I want to say it was when I was living with Trollface and Juju and everybody mm -hmm. and we just kind of had like a dubstep pad and so we would sometimes just kind of go over to John's house and stuff. But uh, at those time periods, I don't really remember too much. <laughs> um, kind of up in a haze of smoke. But basically, <clears throat> started working, you know, around his house and stuff like that on tunes and shit. Because he's one of the, the few artists who, especially at the time, who were, you know, big and had a big name. But was also really down to just kind of get in the studio with you and, and, and have a laugh. And if you come up with something dope, then you got a tune with him. Um, and uh, not a lot of big DJs will give you that chance. Um, especially someone like, you know, like 12th Planet. So, big ups to him for that. Uh, and then Zed's Dead was another, I have to say, big ups to them. Because they're one of those few really big artists who, no matter how big they've gotten, they still have their nose in SoundCloud, which I myself am terrible at. Like, I wish... I was better at going through and finding new artists and finding good shit to listen to, but they're on top of their game. So basically, if you make good music, you never know who's going to hit you up. And so I got hit up by Zed's Dead long, long, long time ago, back in the days. We kept a little r rapport and stuff, and then eventually um, they hit me up, was like, yo, let's do a tune, sent me some stems. Um, and we instantly vibed on it and created the track pretty quickly. Um, it was, uh, relatively, uh, random, I guess. Mm -hmm. What was your dream to make a dancehall record? <laughs> so, if anyone knows me, they know that I love <laughs> dancehall and I love Jamaican music. Um, it's one of the main influences of dubstep, you know, the word dub. But also the fact that, you know, I lived on an island called Tybee Island. I was raised with a Jamaican nanny. Patois is one of the few spoken, I guess, quasi-different languages that I can fully understand and enjoy and appreciate. And as a kid, when you grow up watching stuff like Sting, you know, uh, and all the sound classes like Vibes Cartel and stuff, you grow in a, in a, in a love for it. Um, and I, of course, always wanted to make dance hall and stuff like that. But the problem is that it is a genre of music that honestly will never really fully blow up out here. Um, mm -hmm. If you see people like Buster Rhymes who first started off in dance hall, they had to completely change their sound to make themselves uh, relatable here in America. And it basically boils down to the fact that most Americans can't understand them. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Germany, you go to like pretty much anywhere else in the world, they all love it. Why? Oh, because if, let's say you're German, you don't know a look at English. How many American songs do you hear on the freaking yeah. daily? You don't know the freaking lyrics, but you're like, huh, I like this, you know? Hmm, mm -hmm. cool, I like this song. And, uh, and so you're more down for uh, listening to stuff that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. So are you going to attempt it, or where, where, are you I close mean, to putting out a girl, I've already tried. <laughs> um, but that's the thing, as a producer, we try to write music all the time, stuff that we like to enjoy to make. But only the stuff that we get to release are the stuff that people know us for, mm, unfortunately. Alias time. <laughs> yes, but then doing a full nother alias yeah. 
I feel like for me at least I wouldn't want to do that unless I had all my chips kind of distributed right because right mm -hmm. now I have all my chips in Megalodon yeah. and I kind of should keep it that way um, it's it's a tough road doing this industry because you always have to get back up on your horse and get back up on it again and just dealing with Megalodon is a stressful thing on its own right <laughs> yeah. and the last thing I'd want to do was create an alias give kids a taste of something else and then stop it and just kind of mm -hmm. like have it as a side thing that never really and then it just seems inconsistent Mm-hmm. How did you meet Leo Block? Alright, well, with Leo, it was one of those interesting things where we met via one of those rideshare apps. Um, and you know how, like, all the time, I think especially other DJs and producers can relate, where you get, like, a rapper and they'll come up and be like, yo, you should fuck with me, you know? Like, I got mm -hmm. tunes. Stuff like that. But him and I hit it off right off the bat because we were talking about um, basketball and RJ, which is a really mm -hmm. big rapper out here in L.A., um, and he was like, oh, rare, 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 like, I love RJ, too, like, uh, said something about doing tunes with Joe Moses and stuff like that, um, <clears throat> like, J-Rock, and so I was like, alright, cool, like, we, we, we kind of have a thing, we could continue talking and shit like that, and then, like I said, most producers will know, when someone sends you a tune and they say, hey, let, let, let's fuck with, let, let's, let's do a collab, half the time, it's not going to be something you would want to hear. Well, he sent me the idea for Buss It and I was instantly <laughs> blown away by the idea and kind of gave me kind of an idea of my own to create this kind of hybrid uh, trap dubstep in a way that it's not the EDM trap, it's the actual rap trap. Um, wanted to actually have songs that have more staying power. that. You know, I want it to where, like, I normally don't have a song of mine that I get stuck in my head. Because if you do have a song stuck in your head and it's dubstep, you go, womp, womp, <laughs> womp, 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 womp. And so it, it, it's very hard to explain it to a friend. But if you got a melody and some lyrics, you can go a long way with that. And, you know, that's just one thing that, as a... Uh, producer we have to do so many things you have to engineer mix create do all those other things I do not have the time to write bars and do all that crap yeah um, not to mention he has more <clears throat> say in the actual writing of the hip-hop track because what we do is that we actually reverse engineer it instead of me writing the song first and then him giving me vocals and rec recording vocals over it um, he would first send me pretty much an idea for a hip-hop song. He sent me an idea for a hip-hop song, and uh, we basically would write a hip-hop song straight up from beginning to end. And then I could take that hip-hop song that we wrote and then go ahead and turn that into a dubstep song. Mm -hmm. Was hip-hop a conscious decision that you wanted to get more into? Oh yeah, I mean... If you, if you look at it, I've been doing that similar sound for quite a while. If you even mm -hmm. see like the Anti-Serum collab, mm -hmm. um, that was one of my first real big, big tunes that still to this day is relevant. Um, with rappers though? But this time with rappers, yes. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is that I never really felt like people could pull it off very well. A lot of the times it's not written in a time, in a sense to where like, I would listen to that song by itself without the dubstep drop. Mm -hmm. A lot of these rap 
a lot of these dubstep rap songs are songs that I feel like I could listen to the drop, yes, I love that on stuff, but, but I wouldn't just sit there on repeat with the intro, with the bars. I'm not saying that a lot of these DJs or, or producers or rappers aren't good enough, I just feel like it lacks some certain authenticity because it's like asking a hip-hop producer to write dubstep. Mm -hmm. Well, asking a dubstep producer to write hip-hop, it's not the same. So having somebody who, I mean, I myself, I have my own personal relationships from living in certain neighborhoods and blah, 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 where I have a bit of an urban sound to begin with. But having someone who actually has their job as being a rapper to begin with already has established his sound and basically can give me ideas, that's so much better. Mm -hmm. um, because then it's actually somebody, you know, when you actually hear some of these songs where they get a rapper and a dubstep producer together, they kind of have to improvise and make something that's kind of a mixture of both. And it, it, a lot of the times it doesn't work because they don't have the time to sit there and work it out. Mm -hmm. That's why he lives not too far from me. Yeah. He's able to just come over to the house, record shit, fuck around, be there for when I'm making the song, and we can figure out a formula mm -hmm. to where we can actually make it work. Yeah. Not saying the first time it's gonna work perfectly. I actually really like the song Bust It myself but I feel like the songs we're writing right now are even better. Mm -hmm. And we're working on a formula and I think we're gonna get to that point. Sweet. How would you say you've grown as a person since when you were younger? Uh, I think I've, I'd have to say the biggest growth I've done myself has been in my personal life. Mm -hmm. Because as an artist, I constantly focus on my music career to the, almost to the point where I've neglected my personal life. Mm -hmm. um, so, whenever you hear an artist kind of go quiet for a minute and you're like, oh, he kind of, he tapped out, or where is he now, or he doesn't, blah, 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 which happens a lot quicker nowadays, um, it's because they took a little bit of time for their own personal life. You tour so much, you don't even get a chance of seeing your own mom. So, I am in a, growth-wise, I feel like I'm in a better place right now. Um, over, over the years, I've figured out what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And now I've found myself in a good situation where I'm happily with a girlfriend. I have little puppy dogs. Oh. I have a nice little house that I enjoy. And I'm focusing on my health more. I'm focusing less on the destructive aspects of this career. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people understand too that you know, stuff like Avicii, you know, that, mm. that could happen to any of us, you know, and we, we kind of solely create the scene based around alcohol, you know, um, and when you do it every single night, it can really catch up to you, and I found myself getting out of shape, found myself getting, <clears throat> not feeling the way I wanted to feel, and so that's one thing I feel like I've grown a lot more in, which is, I don't drink when I'm home. I don't really like, I don't eat bad really too much anymore. I try to take care of myself and the ones who love me. And when you spend the past 10 years focusing on just making dubstep tunes, you don't focus on the people who love you. You don't focus on your health. You don't focus on these things. And I feel like that's probably the biggest thing I've done personally, growth-wise. Mm -hmm. What does love mean to you? Well, I think there's multiple different variations of love. Mm -hmm. um, 
and whether or not you're someone who's flippantly usage of love is common. Um, but I would break it up into this sense, you know, you have the love that you would have for things that interest you and that make you feel really special and happy inside, right? And so you could love a friend and how they make you feel and you could love, you know, the way a song makes you feel and you could love those kind of relationships. And then I guess people also have the, the love sense of what you say where like when you're in a relationship, it's like, oh shit, I threw out the L word too quickly, now she hates me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that kind of love. And in that kind of sense, I feel like it's very similar to the other aspects, but a billion times more confusing. <laughs> billion times more confusing. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I wanted to be remembered for being able to make an impact in the things that have made me happy. So for anyone who has had a song in their life that has impacted them, like this song, <laughs> a song that's impacted their life and made them a happier person or got them through a hard time in life, the fact that that music has gotten them through a time just like how I've had music that's gotten me through a hard time in my life, to know that I can put that back and bring that back around, that's, I think, honestly, what I live for, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, to know that I can make people happy and maybe get them through a hard time in their life or just help them enjoy something. And if I can be remembered for if anything, it's just to be able to remember, you know, the, the same feeling that I get when I listen to, say, something like Pink Floyd or something, when I listen to music that's influenced me as a kid. Um, you know, to be a part of someone's life like that, without even knowing them, it's, I think it's really special. Yeah, yeah, I love that. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for having me. Bye, guys.